Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. And welcome back to another episode of 747 Conversations. Today, we're talking gratitude, empathy, and the true meaning of deep human connection. This is the first episode of 2021, and we figured we'd do things a little bit different. The following audio that you're about to hear is from our new live content series called Gratitude Ramblings. See, in December, we did an experiment. Myself, Chris Shembra, founder and chief question asker here at 747, and our research coordinator, Madeline Haslam, we decided that every Wednesday we would do an hour-long LinkedIn and Facebook Live, unscripted, unrehearsed. One of the big goals here at 747 is to give you the most up-to-date, most thorough and scientifically backed evidence that gratitude improves well-being, decreases turnover, and is amazing for company culture. 2,144 people attended those first two gratitude ramblings, and we figured we'd kick off 2021 with a ramble of our own. So enjoy the audio. For any company transformational work that you need done with your people, whether it's your clients, your employees, your industry thought leaders and partners to cure loneliness, to bring together your remote teams, your most important relationships, please reach out. Visit 747club.org. We'd love to hear from you. But without further ado, let's turn it over to the live audio content from our third Gratitude Ramblings. All right, everybody, how y'all doing? Uh, Happy Wednesday, and welcome to the third edition of Gratitude Ramblings. My name is Chris Shembra. This is Miss Madeline Haslam. We are just so excited to have y'all with us today. As you see in the description of this live, this is an unscripted, unrehearsed, yet highly researched ramblings on gratitude. We welcome your questions, comments, thoughts, concerns, whatever it may be. Uh, Due to the 2,144 of y'all that joined us for the first two sessions, we decided to to make this a thing. And so every Wednesday ad nauseum, uh, we're going to keep doing this. Um, Madeline and I read a ton of research papers and a ton of books about gratitude, and we conduct our own original research here at 747. And our promise this year is to bring you uh, as much of our findings as possible leading up to our uh, second book coming out in 2022. You're the first to know, actually. Uh, Miss Madeline, what are you excited for today? Today, I am excited that it's a new day. Honestly, I feel like it's the perfect day to kick off everything and learn something new. I like it. Kevin Schumacher, welcome from Carrollton, Georgia. Hope all is well down there. I know you guys are kind of the stars of everything right now, so hope you're staying safe. But Madeline, let's uh, let's dive into gratitude. What is the first topic of discussion for today? The first topic of discussion is gratitude to 2020. Mm. All right, so gratitude, 2020. You're probably sitting here saying, how the heck could two people like us 
give gratitude, suggest gratitude for one of the toughest years in recent human history. Well, here's a newsflash. The world has survived far greater challenges, far bigger plagues, far greater moments of social unrest, and we will survive this period as well. See, gratitude is the acknowledgement that you've received a benefit or a value from others. And gratitude, that benefit, looks a lot of different ways. Now, 2020 was a tough year. And it was also uh, a good year. Many ups and downs. See, the grateful processing of unpleasant memories from your past is the only way to build the enduring resources and the self-confidence to get through troubling times in the future. You look at 2020 and you say, holy crap, that was a bad year. But let's, let's give gratitude to it. See, the red lights that we had to get through in our past through 2020 will become green lights in our future. The wisdom we learned by getting through the tough shit of 2020 will set us up for success, creativity, innovation, and connection going forward. That is our hope. That is our dream. You know, if you study great other periods of, of plagues or social unrest, uh, let's take the bubonic plague of the, of, the 14, of the 1390s and the 1400s in Europe, wiped out a third of Europe's population, but it birthed the Italian and French Renaissance. So 2020, fuck it, tough year. But only time and hindsight will be able to look back and say some positive things occurred from it. So really looking forward to that. Thank you for such a great first topic, Madeline. If you're just joining us, welcome to the third edition of Gratitude Ramblings, an unscripted, unrehearsed series talking about gratitude between our research coordinator, Madeline Haslam, and me, the pasta guy, Chris Shembra. Glad to have you all with us. Well, well, I think the next thing we should highlight is how we are kicking off 2021. And one of the ways we're doing that is through giving. Do you want to speak to some of the ways we're giving back? Yeah. You know, we, we, were, we were inspired by our dear friends, uh, Tony and Noreen, uh, Tony Safoyan and, and Noreen Gaustian from uh, SADA Systems out in California. See, they understood that 2020 was a really tough year for a lot of people. And the wrong way to show your credit and thanks 2020 to the important relationships in their life, the wrong way is just to give gifts that nobody's going to use again. Instead, they took 900 of their customers and pledged to listen and learn about the passions and the causes of the people they serve and to actually go out and donate to the nonprofits that those people support, right? So our inspire, uh, they inspired us to do that with our own company. And we challenge you to do the same with yours. Instead of looking at your important relationships and saying, what tchotchke or what item or what thing your people don't need can I give to show my appreciation? No. Gratitude is not just about paying it back. It's about paying it forward. See, when you give gratitude to people that are already in your life, you're paying that back. But when you use the value and the benefits they've given you and you pay it forward to, for instance, donate to a nonprofit in their honor, you remove yourself from that. You remove your ego from that gift and you give it on behalf of them. 
and it'll help you learn the passions and causes that your people care about the most. There's people on your team or the clients and partners that you serve externally. And it'll also give you a great feeling of uh, goodness in your heart to know that you're doing good for others. Um, as an example, uh, one of the organizations that we highlighted in a recent newsletter is a, a group called the Stephen Wampler Foundation. It was nominated to us by our dear friends Brent and Celeste and Hope at ESET North America, a wonderful company based in Slovakia. And they have been supporting the Stephen Wampler Foundation for a number of years. And they, this Stephen Wampler is a man who has cerebral palsy, who climbed the face of El Capitan, one of the hardest rocks to climb in the entire world. And he did it with cerebral palsy. And they made a story about him and they made it into a film. And we were honored to be able to donate to his nonprofit. Uh, another example would be our friend Chris, who founded a company called Eagle Rider. He, uh, he invited us to donate to the Orange County Hospital uh, system uh, that, that had a dear relationship with his family. And, and, and the list goes on and on. Eric Day talking about the Gender Cool Project. Uh, my cousin Mark talking about a local hospital. So what we challenge you to do is that gratitude inspires further action. And gratitude is the ultimate form of generosity and giving. When you've received a benefit or a value from others, don't just pay it back. Pay it forward. Use your money, your time, your resources to donate to local nonprofits that the people you serve care about. That's the best way to start 2021. Welcome, Chris Matthew. Happy and howdy 2021. Love that everybody's joined us for our third edition of gratitude ramblings. Miss Madeline, what's the next topic? Uh, yeah. So in 2021, one of our impact goals is to read as many books as humanly possible. So for me, I started off 2021 reading The Year of Less by mm -hmm. Kate Landers. And I think one quote that stood out for me in this book that you recently just highlighted is this. So she says, one lesson I've learned countless times over the years is whenever you let go of something negative in your life, you make room for something positive. And I think that's a really good quote to kind of ruminate on in the beginning of this new year. Yeah. So what Madeline's talking about is replacing the negative with the positive. See, that's what gratitude does. See, when you have bad stuff happen in your past, that bad memory is just ruminating in your brain. And when too many bad emotions and memories ruminate in your brain, there's no space for positivity. So what you can do, and we'll talk about the science of this in a sec, what you can do is actually talk out or write down a negative memory from your past. It destigmatizes that negative emotion and creates room for positivity to enter. And I specifically said write down or talk out for a reason. When you have something negative and it's ruminating in your brain, talking it out and writing it down and throwing away that piece of paper or sending it to someone is literally getting it out of your head, out of your life, out of your space, and in walks positive affect, which broadens and builds your brain's thought action repertoire needed for creativity, innovation, collaboration, trust, loyalty, self-efficacy, everything. Well, I specifically said writing and talking because... If we're trying to talk about a positive memory from our past, we don't want to talk it out or write it down. 
We just want to keep thinking about that positive memory. Because when you think about and you let ruminate a positive emotion from your past, it stays in there. The minute you talk about or write down that positive memory, you look at your words and you say, what? I am not worthy of that great positivity. And it actually has a detrimental effect. So when when Madeline's reading this book about you know the year of less, that's talking about scarcity. Scarcity comes from not feeling like you have enough. What it sounds like this book's talking about, which Madeline's read and I haven't, is to talk about an abundance mindset. And gratitude gives you an abundance mindset. Because gratitude is about giving credit and thanks to small things or big things, positive things or negative things. And you, when you realize that all of these things are interconnected and they, these memories from your past, help develop who you are now, you can realize that you have more than you will ever need at your fingertips within you. So thank you for reading that passage, Madeline. Yeah, totally. I think there's another passage in this book that you will enjoy and that you can speak to. Mm. So Kate writes that smaller cities naturally come with slower lifestyles and are filled with communities of people who are grateful for all the little things life has to offer. I wanted to be surrounded by those things who valued working or living over working, mm. spending time outdoors over spending time online and doing things for themselves over paying for every possible convenience. Wow. Wow, what comes up for you when you hear that passage in that book? I instantly think about how when we slow down, that's when we're able to see what we're grateful for. Being busy and having a lot of stuff is when we get lost in the chaos of life. And being slow and simple and minimalistic is what paves the way for gratitude. Oh, my God. So really, the year of less. Let's break down that thing. Let's talk about the the small things that... Mm -hmm. That they were talking about in small town life. You know, our dear friend Chester Elton in his book, Leading with Gratitude, wrote, uh, you know, a wonderful quote that New York Jets quarterback uh, um, Tad Pennington uh, once had is that the only way to achieve the big goals and the big wins is to achieve the small goals and small wins and, cele- and celebrate them effectively uh, to that tune. And essentially, they're saying that when you appreciate the small things in life, whether it was someone opening the door for you or someone driving you to soccer practice when you were a kid or even, you know, the grandparent that that kept sending you a dollar every year that eventually became a savings account. These small things add up over time. It sounds like what they're talking about in that book, you know, the year of less is that you don't have to live, I mean, it sounds hypocritical, me being in the big city, but you don't have to be in the big city with the flashy things and all that kind of stuff in order to really find like meaning, connection, and purpose. What was the second part of that sentence? It was about, um, was it about minimalism? Was, Was it about? The second half of that little quote is talking about how she values people who live over work, spend time outdoors over spending time online and do things for themselves over paying for every possible convenience. Wow. Well, let's talk about the nature versus online part. And again, how crazy it is that we're online 
And for those of you that are just joining, welcome to the third edition of Gratitude Ramblings. We're talking about Kate's book, uh, The Year of Less. Uh, this is Madeline, our research coordinator. My name is Chris. I cook pasta sauce. And um, the, the, the part of this book is about valuing nature instead of being online. I want to reference a wonderful thing that some of our clients have been doing in order to help their employees get through these difficult, difficult times. And I want to highlight the work of, uh, of of Cynthia and Beth and Stephanie and Jason Woody at the group Jamf, uh, the world's leading provider of, of Apple Care uh, and maintenance. Great, great uh, company owned by Vista Equity Portfolio. And uh, they, we did a bunch of gratitude experiences with them to close out 2020. And every gratitude experience they did was in the morning. And why that was is that after we spent the morning in gratitude, then they gave their employees on the call the rest of the day off to be in nature. I mean, so much so that Cynthia and Beth and Jason literally fell on the sword and said, if anything pops up in your email or, or, or with the product or something, send it to us, even though they haven't coded in 25 years since becoming executives. But um, they encouraged their people to go, walk around in nature and they encourage people to stop being online. See studies have shown that pre COVID in the average kind of eight, eight and a half hour workday, people only worked about two hours and 53 minutes, right? Think about your day pre COVID. It was spent with going to the coffee shop, going to the water cooler, driving to go out to lunch with clients, doing all these kind of maybe taking an Instagram break, whatever. But now through COVID, those eight-hour days are filled with back-to-back-to-back-to-back-to-back Zoom screen meetings. That's doing bad things to our mental and emotional well-being, y'all. So what Jamf did and what this book's talking about is prioritize nature and time to reflect and connect instead of busyness where you're just on the screen all day. See, that's the thing about American society. We value work, busyness, and productivity way too much. Yes, it's the foundation of capitalism. It's how you get that next promotion. It's how you achieve that next sales goal. But it's wreaked havoc on our society. I mean, the Surgeon General of the United States a couple of years ago said that 51% of the American workforce reports being lonely on a consistent basis. That's equivalent to the reduction of lifespan of smoking 15 cigarettes per day, seven years off your life. That is what comes from a culture that rewards productivity, busyness, and too many Zoom meetings. So what Madeline's saying in this book is turn it off, right? Go into nature. Go spend time reflecting and connecting with our natural world. And that is actually when you will come with your most innovative and thoughtful ideas. I mean, take, for instance, the old meeting places across America. Right? I live here in New York City. Our friends and, and extended family are, are involved in the restaurant business and the speakeasy business. And if you, if you think back long ago, the average bar patron would come to a bar in order to have a drink and think long, deep thoughts. they just sit at the bar alone, drink their drink, and just think. Well, now it's like 
There's no time to think because we're always being busy to get that next thing. And so I really love that they're flipping the head on this on this thing. See, what if we could reward reflection and connection instead of busyness and productivity? Odds are we'll actually get a lot more done. That's the crazy thing. So anyways. Kevin Schumacher says the year of less is currently available in Kindle format on Amazon for $1.99. And the irony of me looking that up during this discussion is not lost on me. (laughs) I love it, Kevin. Uh, It sounds like a great book. Yes, I highly recommend this book. Speaking to that last quote, um, if you live in a big city and you're looking for what Kate was talking about with this small town connectedness and more um, community. I think you can easily build that in a big city. You got to oh, find okay. your your little city. Um, well, here's the here's the truth, actually. And and for all of you, welcome to our third edition of Gratitude Ramblings. This is unscripted, unrehearsed. We're talking about gratitude, but what Madeline's talking about is finding community in a big city. I'll reference a book called Here is New York, written by the great E.B. White. It was written in 1947. And E.B. White is an accomplished, you know, magazine editor, newspaper writer, author by this point in 1947. The war has just ended. It's post-war New York City. You got the elevated train tracks on the Bowery. You've got the men and women going out to lunches at Michael's. You know, it's really a great scene. But what he paints is what Madeline was talking about. Building community in a big city. Here we go. Everything you would ever need in life is one of the two block radius of where we live. We got a grocery store. We got a laundromat. We got a FedEx. We got a toy store. We got a beverage store. We got bars. We got all these kind of things. In E.B. White's book, Here is New York, he even challenges to say that there was a story of a woman who used to shop at the same market every day on her block. And when the woman moved three blocks away one day, the woman went back to the market and the cashier was crying. She said, why are you crying? And the cashier said, I never thought I'd see you again. You moved three blocks away. But that's the power of micro communities within a big city. And yeah, that was that. <laughs> that's awesome. E.B. White, here is New York. Great freaking book. My friend Patrick Bosworth is going to pick it up as we speak, but I highly recommend it. It's only a 55 page read. It's beautiful, beautiful writing. Nice. Right. Well, earlier you were talking about how busy we are, especially now in these COVID times or working from home, we're probably working more than those two hours and 53 minutes that we used to work each day. And I think we have a really bad habit, right? Of complaining. Mm. Um, In Kate's second book, uh, which I just bought, which is called um, The Adventures in Opting Out. She talks about complaining and I made this connection that I want to hear your opinion on Chris. So Kate says in Western society, it sometimes feels as though everything is supposed to be a struggle. 
not just because the world is in trouble and our society is to blame for many of the issues we are facing, but also because it's culturally normal. It's normal to complain about your work, your communities, your family, your friends. And it's normal to complain about not having enough time to do what you really want to do. If you don't complain about these things, you're probably already used to being the odd one out. Mm. So complaining is normal. And so what would be the opposite of complaining, Madeline? The, the opposite of complaining and what we need to do more is give gratitude. Mm. So give gratitude and see the positive consequences that have occurred from positive or negative memories from your past. Mm-hmm. See, complaining is a really interesting thing. And you're right. It's ingrained in our society. Take, for instance, you know, uh, Lynn Twist, uh, the author of the book, The Soul of Money, um, you know, all about transforming your relationship with money in life. She really points out that when someone asks you how you're doing and you say, I'm killing it. Right. How many times do you hear people say, I'm killing it? What does that actually mean? That means you're killing something. I mean, he's probably working too hard to make that money. You're probably stressing yourself out and ruining your family. You're doing all this bad shit for what? That next thing? We complain in order to create an excuse of why we haven't gotten that next thing. My hypothesis is that if we can focus less on what that next thing is, it can, and we can learn to reflect on what we already have and give gratitude to that, whether it's things that we've gotten because of bad situations or things that we've gotten from good situations. If we take that fearless and searching moral inventory of the benefits and the values we've received from others and let that determine our language instead of a scarcity mindset and complain about what we don't have and how it's other people's fault that we haven't gotten what we want, society is going to change in a nutshell. What's one sentence we should say, Madeline, instead of complaining? What's one sentence that they can walk away with? One sentence. I think the sentence should be, I don't know, whenever you feel that that come up, you're going to, before it comes out of your mouth, make that conscious shift. Mm-hmm. And replace it with gratitude. Ah. It'll it'll change everything. Wow! You know my my uh, my coach Tommy Sobel, founder of the Go Brick Now, the Brick Now movement. He was Steven Spielberg's, you know, assistant for so many years, and he realized that there were so many problems in Hollywood, in the world, in society, and celebrity that he went out and he started a company to encourage people to go back into nature, to turn off their phones, to monitor their screen time. And he studied neuroscience at Duke and he calls it replacement rewards, right? Mm -hmm. So anytime that you're bored and you turn a scrolling, what are you actually turning a scrolling to do? It's probably to uh, escape your fear. It's probably to escape the fear of abandonment that comes from not being socially connected to someone, but we're doing it in the wrong way. And so what Madeline's talking about is understanding what triggers you have which I'm not an expert on. I don't know shit about that, but what are your triggers and how do you create a replacement reward that instead of saying um, I'm triggered, so I'm going to go do this bad thing and complain, it's I'm triggered. So I'm going to take a brick breath as Tommy invented, and then 
I'm going to do what Chris Matthews talking about in the comment section of today. I'm grateful for blank, but I'm going to challenge you, Chris, and I'm going to say that that sentence only goes so far. I love you, Chris. I love that statement today. I'm grateful for, but I think that surface level bullshit, that's not what gratitude Mm -hmm. is. Gratitude is about acknowledging what are the benefits and values you've received in your life that you've never talked about. That's what creates internal personal transformation and those replacement reward behavioral patterns that create habits. See, at every virtual, at every 747 gratitude experience we've produced in the last five years, serving, you know, sparking over 500,000 relationships, we've asked the same question. Now, get this if you could give credit or thanks to one person in your life that you don't give enough credit or thanks to, who would that be? Now, here's what happens. We're not asking you what's your rehearsed thing of like, today I'm grateful for my cup. Today I'm grateful for my life. Today I'm grateful for my the, the sun or the joy. No, it's to take a fearless and searching moral inventory into your past and bring that shit forward, positive or negative. Now, let's take that to the next step. Just simply writing down what you're grateful for is only half the battle. We believe gratitude isn't something you should do alone. It's something you should do in community, which is important to create an accountability partner or to create a small group where the whole purpose of that group is to share your daily gratitude things and give gratitude to each other and to hold you accountable to go out and share that gratitude with the people you just talked about or pay it forward. See, gratitude is an inherently social trait. It's a communal bond and glue. And when you just sit there with a gratitude journal and write down what you're grateful for, it only goes so far. Bring it into the community. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I completely agree. And it's so funny because Chris, Matthew, we just wrote a blog post yesterday about this, about gratitude journaling or listing about your what you're grateful for. Um, And it's really, you really got to dig deep and not just do service level stuff when you're making these gratitude lists. So thank you for bringing that up. David Nabinsky, I I think you're on the the call. David's on our our VP of growth as well. And uh, if you could put the blog post, which he's probably already doing, put the blog post in the, the Facebook and LinkedIn comment section. That'd be awesome. All right. What's the next topic of discussion, Madeline? Um, I think you recently shared a fun little excerpt from a book you're reading called The Soul of Money. And Ooh. I think it'd be awesome if you shared that with our community. So, yeah, we're, I'm reading a book called The Soul of Money that was inspired by my dear friend Steve Tam, a godfather of so many experiences and one of the great community builders out there. He he, you know, one day we were sitting on the rooftop with uh, with Allie Hoffman and Jackie Cantwell, and he said, uh, you know, going to a concert, following an, an artist, having the, the musician sing from the stage, that's not community. That's a speaker stand. You're just sitting alone, you know, with your other concert goers watching the thing. And he says a, a party is community where the catalyst is at the center and community is built all around and all that kind of thing. Anyways, he's a genius. Uh, and he's doing a great thing with Esther Perel right now, creating a, a game for her that you're all going to learn about very soon. And uh, and he recommended this book, Soul of Money. And, and in it, you know, Lynn Twist is uh, a wonderful woman. 
and uh, she founded a, a group called the the, the Hunger uh, Global Hunger Project. And she would go around meeting with uh, young people, old people, rich people, poor people, to talk about how do we solve one of the world's great challenges: poverty and and hunger. And what's one of the biggest places that struggles with hunger in the world? It's India, uh, where close to 300 million people live beneath the poverty line. And she went there in 1983 uh, to study uh, many things about hunger. And in the book, she talks about a walk she took with uh, Ramkrishna uh, Bajaj. And Ramkrishna had a wonderful story. They walked around the streets of Calcutta and, um, and talking about hunger. And Ramkrishna has a great story because he is the... The fit, the, India calls him the fifth son of Gandhi. Now, here's why. This story I'm about to share is uh, a four and a half to five minute story about the cycle of gratitude and how gratitude inspires further action. Gratitude is about generosity. Gratitude is about giving. And gratitude ultimately inspires entire movements into action. So Ramkrishna Bajaj's dad was a, a man by the name of Jamlalal uh, Bajaj, and I apologize for the pronunciation. I've only seen this story on a page, so I don't know how to pronounce it. But Jamlala Bajaj was a great industrialist in the 1930s in India. In India, and if you look at India in that point, they were under the the uh, the empirical, for good or bad, British rule, part of the British Empire. And Mahatma Gandhi was fighting for and leading for British uh, India's independence from Britain. And if you look, Mahatma Gandhi never asked for money from the people of India. He didn't have to. He had a silent financial backer by the name of Jamlala Bajaj. And this silent financial backer it paid for everything so that Mahatma Gandhi could go on and do his mission without having to beg. So that's essentially what politicians are, is beggars, um, needing your money to place in their city coffers. But Jamlala Bajaj was so humble. See, the great quarterback Chad Pennington once said that humility is one of the greatest forms of servant leadership and gratitude builds that. See, people with humility, they don't think less of them, uh, less of themselves. They just think about themselves less. So the fact that Jamla Bajaj didn't seek public recognition for his silent sacrifice uh, to fund Mahatma Gandhi. And because of that, Mahatma Gandhi chose not to repay Jamlala Bajaj, but his gratitude to Jamlala Bajaj was by adopting Jamlala Bajaj's youngest child, Ramkrishna Bajaj. And he took him in as his own. He already had four kids. So India called him Ramkrishna Bajaj, the fifth son of Gandhi. And by the time Ramkrishna Bajaj was 13 years old, he was already leading the youth movement of Gandhi's you know, independence in a movement. And he spent so long because of this gratitude he now had for Gandhi. He spent so long with him in prison, in uh, in uh, speeches, in protests, in very violent situations, undying support, loyalty, and gratitude. And years later, Jamlala Bajaj's eldest son, who was running his company, the House of Bajaj, would end up passing on, and Jamlala Bajaj would pass on as well. And Ramkrishna was appointed chairman, CEO of the House of Bajaj, now one of the largest companies in India. And because of the gratitude that he had 
to Gandhi, and the gratitude that he had to his father. He carried on that tradition. And, you know, now Ramkrishna Bajaj is literally one of the great, great, great philanthropists in India. And, you know, what he says, what began as an expression of gratitude proved to be a continuing blessing for India. So the simple sacrifice of Jamlala Bajaj helping Mahatma Gandhi through his independence movement has gone on to inspire billions of people in that country of India. And that is the cycle of gratitude. See, gratitude inspires further action. It doesn't respond to it. Gratitude inspires entire teams and people to create movements. See, people want to belong to groups of people who believe in the same things they believe in. See, the great Simon Sinek talks about in his TED Talk that it's not what you do or how you do it that inspires movements. It's why you do it. And take, for instance, Martin Luther King on August 28th, 1963. He got hundreds of thousands of people to show up in the National Mall of Washington to hear him speak. Not because he got them to show up because they were going to come to hear his what or his how. Dr. Martin Luther King didn't give the I have a plan speech. No, he gave the I have a dream speech. He communicated his why and the people showed up because they believed in the same things he believed in. And a movement was was born that today continues to fight on and so many great things must be done in the coming years. But he communicated his why. Ramkrishna Bajaj communicated his why. And uh, that's what gratitude does. You know, earlier on in this in this thing, for those of you that are just joining earlier today, we talked about an initiative that our friends Tony and Noreen are doing by donating to 900 nonprofits that are the causes and passions of choice of 900 customers and partners that they serve. And that's how you create lasting loyalty. I mean, we're talking about intergenerational loyalty that inspired an entire country. You can do the same in your company, in your group of friends, in your family. If you care about the passions, the causes, and the beliefs of the people you serve, they will be loyal to you forever. Maybe they'll even write about you in a book one day because from a corporate perspective, when you bring emotion like that and belief and passion to B2B transaction, upsell, cross-sell revenue referrals for years to come. It's unbelievable. Thank you for asking, Madeline. What's the next topic? The next thing we can move on to, I don't know, let's do another quote. So we're on this Kate Flanders kick. You guys got to read her work. It's very good. Her new book just came out. So Adventures and Opting Out is relatively new. And she says this, it's scary to risk standing out. The fear of being alone is wired into us. Historically, if you decide to live differently from the way you were raised, your family origin can literally reject you. This could lead to being isolated and having a difficult time trying to survive in the world. Even though our reality in developed countries isn't quite as harsh as that today, the fear of being shamed or rejected still stops us from doing so many things, including being true to ourselves. Wow. So the fear of standing out, the fear of, you know, being your own thing. You know, uh, my friend Ina and, uh, and, and the wonderful people at Vaco, uh, Jerry Bostelman's company, uh, we've done some experiences with them and what a remarkable group of individuals in their 
their diversity and inclusion initiatives across their, I think they have like 4,000 employees or something in their diversity and inclusion initiatives. There's a sentence that say uh, outlaws welcome, right? How do you, how do you build a culture, not only of inclusion and diversity, but a culture where your radical ideas are welcomed. Google does such a great job with that. You know, they have something called Google time, you know, at least 10 to 20% of your work day or work week, can be spent on things completely unrelated to your job. What that does is empowers Googlers to come up with innovative and crazy ideas. See, in Kate's book, when she talks about, you know, not having the fear of having an original idea or a thought, Adam Grant wrote a wonderful book called Originals. And he proved that it's the, it's the, it's the, the crazy ideas uh, the, 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 the wacky people, uh, the people who don't go down the beaten path that ultimately make the biggest impact, you know, on our world today. See innovation and creativity and progress happens when someone sees something that's broken and then takes a risk to go out and champion it. And that requires courage. The Brené Brown so famously talks about shame and courage. See shame comes from when people have an innovative idea and they don't feel like they can share that idea because of fear of ridicule. Well, the greatest thing to overcome shame and develop a culture of courage is by practicing peer-to-peer gratitude within companies. Our friend Chester Elton talks about that in his you know, award-winning book, Leading with Gratitude. And he says that peer-to-peer gratitude is one of the greatest tools for retention Loyalty, innovation, creativity, collaboration, and trust known to man because when people know that they have friends at the workplace and they can open up and share these wacky ideas and not be shamed or ridiculed, they'll keep doing that. And that's how you further collaboration and innovation and, and trust. And so I'm glad Kate, you know, was talking about that in the book. Yeah. For sure. I think it's important to say that if you are going down a new path this year, whether that be with a new year's resolution or just a new, a new thing you want to try out in your life, right? Give gratitude to yourself too. It's scary. It's, it's a new thing you're trying. So honestly, just take some time and be grateful that you have that capacity to, to risk something. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, 2021 was a fuckery and, and to quote the great, you know, the great Reverend Matthew McConaughey, (laughs) what a wonderful guy. My friend Shauna and and my friend Alec gave us the book green lights by Matthew McConaughey and our dear friend, Dan Schwabell just interviewed him for his five questions with Dan Schwabell podcast on iTunes, which you can check out. But in it, Matthew McConaughey talks about green lights, the whole title of the book. What's a green light? A green light is something you go, right? 2020 was yellow and red, and it's all right. It was filled with failure and death and resentment and shame and all this kind of bad stuff, but it paved the way to get to the green lights. And I'll read you a quick passage you know, from this thing. What a great writing style Mr. Matthew, the great reverend, has. See, he says, catching green lights is about skill, intent, context, consideration, endurance, anticipation, resilience, speed, and discipline, all things, you know, gratitude instills. See, he believes that everything we do is part of a plan. And sometimes 
the plan goes intended. Sometimes it doesn't like 2020. That's part of the plan. Realizing this is a green light itself. When you develop the serenity to accept the things you cannot change, the courage to change the things you can, and the wisdom to know the difference, that's a green light moment, according to the great reverend. See, the problem we face today eventually turns into blessings in the rearview mirror of life. In time, yesterday's red light leads us to a green light. All destruction eventually leads to construction. All death eventually leads to birth. All pain eventually leads to pleasure in this life or the next. What goes down will come up. I just did a hypnosis with Grace Smith, the great, you know, gracesmithhypnosis.com. And she even talked about visualizing a staircase going up into 2021. Right here I am in 2020 with all this shame, fear, regret, resentment. And she's actually saying you know, what goes down must come up. A new birth and awakening. What the great Reverend Matthew McConaughey is saying is that the red lights from our past are the green lights of our future. What does that sound like? Earlier on in this talk, we talked about the grateful processing of unpleasant memories from our past, giving credit and thanks to the positive consequences, acknowledging the benefits and the value you receive from that red light shitty moment in 2020 will give you the self-confidence, the self-efficacy, the pride, the hope, the optimism, the enduring social and personal resources to look at 2021 as a green light. Now, I'll never be able to communicate those beliefs the way the great reverend has done so in this book, but fuck, it's good. And if you want to hear him talk about this better than I talked about it myself, go to Five Questions with Dan Schwabell. And you'll be in for a ride and a half, y'all. So, Madeline, let's start closing out because I think we got to go produce a, a virtual gratitude experience in eight minutes with the wonderful organization called One Table. Mm-hmm, we do. I was actually going to suggest that that was an awesome last topic. The Good. green lights, getting a green light for 2021, like just envision it and you guys are, you're set. Yeah. Now you're you're not set in the same in the way that we're going to promise that 2021 will be devoid of pain. No, but you're set to stop complaining and start appreciating, to stop rewarding busyness and start rewarding reflection and connection. To open up the mind for an abundance mindset, not scarcity. That's what gratitude does for you. I hope that y'all are having a phenomenal day on Earth. I certainly am. After going through Grace Smith's hypnosis and then calling my mom to say I forgive you and then calling Simon Berg to say you're a fucking great father. Uh, Saros.com, wonderful, wonderful company. He's raised over $150 million for the company. Great, great firm. But does so much, so, so much for others. And he's there for his kids. And little Chris, when I was five, put in the room, shunned from the world. That's for a whole nother thing, but Grace Smith really helped me through it. And that's the power of positivity. That's the power of positive psychology, of mindfulness and gratitude to help us process the unpleasant memories from our past, to look ahead. Kevin Schumacher says, follow the meander by Andrew Dietz. It's a creativity in a non-traditional way. 
And uh, yeah, go get those couple books online. I hope y'all are having a phenomenal day on earth. Remember folks, it's your world. Go explore. And we'll see you next Wednesday for our next gratitude ramblings. Talk to y'all later. Ciao. Thank you.